I would love for us to just take a moment and thank the Spates family for leading us in worship along with their adopted son, Greg Baker, who joined them this morning. Uh, if you uh, do not know, uh, Sarah had her baby and Jared was sitting there and <laughs> and they're going to be, he, he's away from leading worship for us for the next few weeks and we're, we're grateful for our elders giving him just some time away and be praying for them. We love them. We are so thankful for uh, both Jared and Sarah. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the Gospel of Mark because we're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Mark, chapter 14. And as you're turning there, I'm going to ask a pretty simple question. What does faithfulness mean to you? What does faithfulness mean to you? I looked up yesterday, or two or three days ago, when we started in Mark's Gospel. If, if you were unfamiliar, we have been working through Mark's Gospel in four different uh, windows. Uh, someone who can pronounce French words may say vignettes. We have been working through this text off and on since October the 17th of 2021. And in the midst of all of that, we have watched as Jesus has done some miraculous things. Things that were... Uh, they are the things that we look at and that we, that we celebrate because in the text you see the action of Jesus as this God-man performs tasks that we cannot perform though he is like us. He is a human like us who is tired like us, who gets exhausted like us, overwhelmed and anxious like us from what we'll see in the text today. But we see him performing these miraculous feats. We see him walk on water in Matthew's gospel. In Mark's gospel, we've watched as he was asleep in a boat, steps to the edge of the boat, and he calms a storm. We have seen Jesus heal people who were paralyzed, cause blind people to see. They've drugged lepers to Jesus. We have watched as Jesus caused demons to run away from him, making paralyzed people walk. We have seen Jesus do miraculous things. These highlights, the things that... We love to see on screens the things that we love to see celebrated about this Messiah of ours. Here we see Jesus at his most human. And we see the faithfulness of Jesus in the midst of his humanity. Everyone loves a highlight. If you are unaware, uh, the watching of sports has changed over the last really five years. There was a point where we would actually watch games. Now we just watch highlights. It's ESPN culture moving, transitioning to TikTok culture where your kids will say they watched a game when in actuality they just watched as their favorite player uh, crossover dribbled with a basketball, hit a baseball, uh, caught a football. We are a highlight culture. The Gospel of Mark has taken us through the highlights, but here we see something that is uniquely different. We see the work that is put in. We see the things that are taking place so that Jesus, who lives this perfectly human life on this world, we see all that he, he has done as God the man, Jesus the Son, interacts with his Father. 
And we're going to see this about our Jesus. If you are a believer, he is your Jesus. You know him. If you are not a believer, he invites you to know him. But if we have a big idea for today that the, church, that the text will give us a, a, an understanding of, it's basically this. Christ's faithfulness will see us through. Now what we emphasize in that is important. Christ's faithfulness will see us through. Not mine and not yours. His faithfulness carries us through. And when you're working in gospel accounts, we, are, we have a tendency to try to give you uh, clean outlines. I, I don't really believe that I can give you a clean outline to most of the gospel passages because they don't function like that. But I'm going to do my best. Here's a clean outline to a pretty messy story. If you are a note taker, what do we see Jesus being faithful to in the text? We see that he's faithful to his word. We see that he is faithful to the Father. We see that he is faithful when we are not. And we see that he is faithful to the end. One more time, for those in the back. Faithful to his word. Faithful to the Father. Faithful when we are not. And he is faithful to the end. The central figure of the whole of Scripture is the person of Jesus. And if we shift our understanding of what it means to walk with God from His faithfulness, we have departed from orthodox, historic Christianity. Jesus is the one who carries this through. Jesus is the hope, not us. Jesus. Mark chapter 14, picking up with me in verse 32. They came to a place named Gethsemane and he told his disciples sit here while I pray he took Peter, James and John with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled he said to them I'm deeply grieved to the point of death remain here and stay awake he went a little further, fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible in the hour, that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then he came... And he found them sleeping. He, he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you just stay awake for one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. And the spirit, the spirit is willing, but the flesh, the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and he prayed, saying the exact same thing. And, and again, he came and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Then he came a third time. And he said, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the time has come. See, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. While he was still sleeping, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived with him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one that I kiss, 
He's the one. Arrest him and take take him away under guard. So when he came, immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. They took hold of him and they arrested him. One of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you. Every day. Teaching in the temples. And you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then all... They all deserted him and they ran away. Now a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and he ran away naked. When we enter into this text today, we are coming out of Jesus explaining the Lord's Supper to the disciples. When we were together two weeks ago before you were so faithful to serve our community last week at Servolution, two weeks ago we watched as Jesus broke bread, as the disciples had broken bread numerous times in their lives, and, and drank of the cup as they had done before, as they walked through the Passover meal, and he redefined, reestablished what it means for people to be in right relationship with God. Pointing out everything that we have seen before was pointing to this. It comes together in my broken body and in my shed blood. This whole story, this whole story is about me. And you have this moment for the disciples where they are interacting with God the Son right there as he said, what's going to take place? It is all that's been worked out. And I want you to know and I want you to believe and I want you to trust and I want you to hold fast to this. This is really about me. The bread's about me. The, 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 the wine is about me. The herbs that you eat, those are about me. All of this has been about me. Just come sit with me. So then he takes the disciples, all of them, sits down the backups, the nine, takes the top three with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive press which I think is unique in the scriptures when it, we see places and we know the meanings of those places. Olive press. The notion of pressure is there because there will be pressure here in this moment. Sit here and pray. When he goes, he says to them in verse 30, 34, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. I love that he would say this to the disciples. And there are, there's a dual-fold nature of this. Stay here. Stay awake. And, and the notion is spiritual, but it's also practical. Just be awake. Can you just be awake? Do you see, if this were me, and I'm not Jesus, as you know. Do you see, can you not just stay with me? Think about the meal that we just ate. Think about what we've gone through. Think about the miraculous things that you have seen me accomplish. Just stay awake with me right here. This place for me to interact with God the Father. I need you to be awake. There are numerous arguments as to why he wants them to stay awake as if they should look out for the betrayer. That is one case. The thing is, Jesus is about to give himself up. It doesn't matter when Judas comes here. Just stay awake. But as we see earlier, the the notion of this text is that we see that God is faithful to his word through Jesus. Jesus is faithful to his word. And the phrases that you see here, 
anxious to the point of death, deeply grieved, overwhelmed. Psalm 41, Psalm 42, Psalm 43. Jesus is taking what the Psalms call the posture of the righteous sufferer. Jesus is standing here in this moment where he interacts with God the Father. And he is saying to these men, just stay awake. Because this is about to be heavy. And how quick we are to forget the steps that God has taken so that we could know Him and love Him and be known and loved by Him. How often are we to take for granted everything that Jesus went through and I'm not really sure if it's because of the, the time lapse. I would probably argue the counterpoint of that. The disciples were right there in the moment at the mill walking up the hill. How quickly we forget. When Jesus asked them to pray... He is saying to the disciples something that we could learn a lot from. Interact with God so that you don't abandon me. Pray so that you don't forget or forsake me. If our walk with the Lord is void of prayer, we are not walking very well. Don't abandon me. Verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. So Abba is this phrase that we see that runs into the scripture. We see actually it mentioned in the book of Romans. And it's very unique for us to see this word. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Abba, and if you would like to read numerous diatribes as to what's actually taking place there, feel free. There are, very, there are many options for us. What does it mean for Jesus to say Abba? There is a sense of intimacy that's there. We are in the phase right now, if you are unfamiliar with my family, we have a 7-year-old named Alder. We have a 10-year-old daughter named Magnolia. We have a 12-year-old son named Charlie. We have a 15-year-old son. He's 15 next week. That is such a weird number to say out loud. We are about to let that man in a car. And we've entered this phase with our kids that when they're joking around with us, hey, they say weird stuff. We, we've evolved from mama to, to, and mommy to mom to bruh. <laughs> Nelly started this new thing where she'll look at me and she'll, she'll say, What's up, son? And I, who are you, you little weird, weird little rapper? <laughs> when we see Abba here in this passage... It is bestowing upon us and revealing to us the uniqueness of the relationship that God has with the Father. And the very idea that you see present in the text is that Jesus is saying to God the Father, I want to be aligned in my humanity and in my exhaustion because it doesn't seem as if he slept. 
And it, we could definitely tell that you're... This is not a vacation for our Lord. For day after day after day, it's, it's argument and, and these contrived discussions with these various religious leaders who want to undo who this Jesus is. It's people wanting to arrest him and him knowing that. It's him standing in a temple and declaring this is messed up. That's where Jesus is. So there is no rest for him. And in the midst of his exhausted humanity, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. This massive acknowledgement. God, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want, God. Take this cup away from me. What is this cup? It's the idea that what Jesus is about to take upon himself is the... It is the wrath of God towards sin. Jesus is about to undo the condemnation of humanity. There is no square inch of the totality of the world where people walk and they are not condemned because of their sin. Jesus is about to take condemnation and freely offer those who respond to him to, to step away from that. Take this cup away. I don't want that. But not what I will. What you will. Jesus is faithful to us in this text because God is the fa- God the Father is faithful to us. Somewhere in all of our juxtaposition and interpretation and extrapolation of Bible text, we have gotten to this point where there's a misunderstanding of the nature of God the Father. And in this text, you see that Jesus is praying things that align with what we as a congregation pray each week as we walk through the Lord's Prayer. And you may say, is that really a prayer? It's just Bible verses. That is more of a prayer than your rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay God. We pray the Lord's Prayer weekly. And Jesus is praying for God's will to be done right here. He is praying to be delivered from testing right here. And he's praying that what God would have accomplished would be accomplished right here. And Jesus in this text is modeling for us as believers what it means to ask things of God and to be aligned with God. The will of God in this passage, and it's something that we may miss is perfectly aligned with the character of God. If your understanding of who Yahweh is, is this angry figure who has his arms crossed and eyes rolled at you, that's not the posture, nor is it the character of God. This is not God forcing Jesus to the cross. This is the picture of the human Son of God embracing God's self-sacrificing, self-giving love. If I want to know what God loves, I should look and see what Jesus loves. If I want to know what God abhors, I should look and see what Jesus abhors. If I want to understand the character of Yahweh, the Yahweh that we see presented in the whole of Scripture, I need to look to the person of Jesus because this is God in the flesh. And the anguish of Jesus testifies not to simply the wrath of God. The anguish, the depth, the weight of what is happening here testifies to the depth of God's love for human beings because God would take this step. 
that the way that God would express his, self, his sacrificial love is God the Son dying. God's arms are not crossed in anger. If I want to understand God's physical posture, if we can grasp any idea of that, they are stretched out in love. And I know that because we are moments away from Jesus being crucified. This is the heart of God for people. There's a song Chris Tomlin wrote years ago. and I, I've, We are at this point in the history of the church where songs get old in 11 minutes. When you sang Amazing Grace years ago, that was this pillar of a song that carried from decade to decade. We'll sing some songs sometimes and I think, that's old and it was from 2021. I was in my 40s. Firmly in those 40s. There's a Tomlin song, Jesus Messiah, and there's a, there's a line in it. He became sin who knew no sin. And I sang that years ago at a summer camp. Not me. They don't let me do vocals. The band was singing that. We're in the hallway after worship. This sweet senior adult, well-meaning senior adult, he walks up to us afterwards and, and he asks us, he said, could you just leave that line out of the song? Who wrote that line? I can't believe someone would write that line. Who wrote that? I, I said, Paul did. Paul did. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If we understand the Christian faith in a way that is mad God sends loving Jesus. That's not Christianity. That's numerous pagan religions throughout the history of time. God the Father loves you. We sing songs when we're kids that we forget. Jesus loves you, this I know. It's so easy to distance myself from that. And become defined by what we do. I work with various pastors and I'll offer a time where I say, hey, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And the thing that they will begin to ask me to pray for are stuff like, well, well, we've got this thing coming up. Oh. We've got this big event that we need to do. You know, I really just want to be a good talker. I want to be a good preacher. Jared sat at a table with a group of pastors the other day and they were encouraged to pray for one another. And as they are encouraged to pray for one another... All of their prayer requests were about work. When we look at the passage here and we look at the nature of Jesus, I'm reminded that our God loves us in such a unique way that He would say to us, 
Understand love through me. I, I have these pastors who talk to me and they want to be defined by what they do. And if I'm not careful, I want my identity to be what I've done. And I tell you as my congregation weekly, don't be identified or understood by what you do, but by who Jesus is. Yet pastors live in this constant contradiction to that. Jesus has a deep love for us. Then he came and he, he verse 37, these guys, it's like they took NyQuil. He came and he found them sleeping and he said, Simon, are, are you sleeping? He doesn't even call him Peter. Couldn't you stay awake for one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. Your spirit is willing because the spirit's present in you. But your flesh, in your exhaustion, it's weak. Stay awake. Just get up. Pray. Depend. Be physically alert. Be spiritually aware. Once again, he prayed the same thing, saying, saying the same thing. And again, he came and he found them sleeping. <laughs> because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. And I think it's easy for us to, as Bible people to be hard on the disciples here. But what we can't forget when we read through the scriptures and see difficult situations like this and we say, I would never do that, we have to know that we've already done it. I've already had my nap. When we read through the stories of Abraham and all of his failures, you've done that. Moses and his failures, you've done that. Are you still sleeping and resting enough? The time has come. See, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. While he's still speaking, Mark is very intentional with the words that Jesus is still talking to the disciples and out comes Judas. With him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one that I kiss. I wondered, why do we need a signal? And then you realize how relatively small this world is. If I were to tell you to identify a celebrity in our world, you could. Everyone except for Twain Pygett, who's not here today. He barely knows the name of his children. <laughs> we can identify people. The Roman government, as much as they did not want an uprising, they've been conjured and commandeered. They've been brought along beside these Jewish leaders. He has to tell them, hey, I'm going to kiss the one that you arrest. Take him away under guard. As if to say, let the rest of them go because they're just, they're just following along. I know better. But the rest of these guys, I've been spending time with them. They're kind of morons, but just let them free. The language in this passage also conveys to us what has really happened with the disciples up to this point. Because we've called them disciples throughout the gospel, but here, they're, they're not called that. They're called bystanders. They're going to leave Jesus. We're not even told who. They just all are going to leave him. 
Verse 46, they took hold of Jesus, they arrested them. One of those who stood by, again, doesn't tell you who, doesn't tell you the disciple. And all of these allusions to Peter, which we know from the other Gospels, I believe this left out because Peter's the one that's giving the account to Mark who writes this down. The disciples ask if they should defend him. Peter doesn't even wait. He just chops off his ear. That's what we see in Luke. And Jesus restores the ear. We don't get that portion of the story here. Jesus said, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? The question is basically framed like this. Why have you come to arrest me like I'm a rebel? He's already called the religious leaders rebels. He's called them a den of robber. He actually used the word rebels here. And the real rebellion, Jesus lets us know, is against what God would have, what God would have is in you. The real rebellion is you. Yet you're acting as if that's me. Jesus goes, I was teaching every day. You didn't arrest me. You come like thieves in the night. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. They show up with clubs and hammers. and In my head there's a hammer. They show up with weaponry. As if Jesus, in this situation is about to throw as if the people who have aligned with Jesus are going to completely revolt. There's none of that. My unalert heart is much more likely to run. I'm much more flight than fight. They all deserted him. They all ran away. I would never do that. We've already done it. A certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. Many believe this is the guy writing the story that gets the account from Peter. They caught hold of him. But he left the linen cloth behind and he ran away naked. It's really easy to paint that story in a funny way. Because it is kind of funny if you think about it. But it lets us know this extent to which the disciples whether the 12 or the, the top three or even these extras. How much it meant to them to run away from Jesus when the going got tough. Now your counterpoint to this may be, well, you know, we're supposed to stand up and fight for our right to party. We need to fight for our rights as Christians in this world. For us to stand for Jesus is to stand like Jesus. It is to have the posture of Jesus toward sin and toward death. Yeah, but that's before the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now we should be living in a different way. 
when the book of Revelation gives us a picture of what it means for Jesus to wage the final war, the only one who does anything is him. Do we really think we're going to get a lot of blows in against Satan and his minions? When we're distracted by doom scrolling on our TikToks? Rome is worried there's an uprising. There's none of that. Hear me, please. We cannot be... We are not... So, so what does this say to us about the faithfulness of Jesus? We are not strong without Jesus. You cannot be faithful without Jesus. We cannot see sin and death the way that God does apart from Jesus. We cannot have God's view of our enemies apart from Jesus. There is great irony to what takes place here at the end of the gospel when you look at this person of Mark who's ran away and had his linen taken from him. It reminds us of the garden. There's a story in the, in the book of Genesis where Adam and Eve were disgraced by sin. They found out they were naked and they were disgraced by sin for abandoning God. They were naked and they were hiding in a garden. Here, this follower of Jesus has abandoned God and is hiding naked in a garden. Apart from Jesus, we are left weak, we are left vulnerable, we are left naked, we are left ashamed in a garden. When Christ was abandoned, it was a complete destruction and decimation of right relationship. Jesus stands there as all alone. And for me to be restored to him, there needs to be something that reflects my wounded condition. My broken condition. My sin-shattered and scarred condition. For me to be in right relationship with God... Jesus must become like me. Weak, vulnerable, naked, broken, decimated by sin. So the hope of God could be part of me. I don't know your... your spiritual situation today. I, I do know that it's spring break and I've got a lot of the faithfuls here with us. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, Jesus, who never sinned, knew no sin, took the whole of your sin and the sin of the world upon himself. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. He, he was left weak, vulnerable, and naked so that you could be rightly restored to God. And He invites you to trust that you can know that and believe that because of the power of His resurrection. We are invited to that. For those of us who are believers in this space, I'm so grateful for you. you. You don't know how much I love leading you as a people. I love you. We're going to take communion in a few moments. Before you jump up and eat the wafer and drink of the cup, would you wrestle with the Lord as to how 
much you're taking your walk with him for granted. Would you wrestle with the Lord with what this text says to us about the character and the nature of Jesus? Would we not be like the disciples? Would we be awake and aware spiritually as to what it means for us to follow him all the way through? Because he is faithful to us. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to approach this a little differently today, but with your heads bowed. Could you thank God for his faithfulness to you? Could you thank God for the faithfulness of his word? Thank God for not abandoning you. Can you thank God for meeting you in the garden? Brokenness. In your weakness and in your vulnerability. you thank God for loving you in such a way that he would place your sins on the shoulders of his son and express his love to you not with eyes rolled and arms crossed but with with arms outstretched If there's anyone in the space who you have anger or frustration toward, could you just go pray with them right now? If you need to get on your face before the Lord at your seat, feel free to do that right now or at the front of the room. I'm going to read the passage of the Lord's Supper. If you've never... If you're not a believer and you want to talk to me about what it means to walk with Jesus, I'll be at the back of the room with a communion cup. I'm going to read this text over us. And the band is going to begin to lead in just a few moments. Come get the cup. As the Lord gives you the the freedom to do so as a believer.
keeping this in mind, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. As the Lord releases you to get your cup and your bread, feel free to take. We trust you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.